Today on State Scoop's Priorities Podcast from Scoop News Group, solving data management challenges in North Carolina and a digital transformation program in Ohio. Welcome to State Scoop's Priorities Podcast. Every Thursday, you'll get insights into the state and local government technology community. You'll hear from top leaders across the state and local world and learn about the latest news and trends ahead for your industry. I'm your host, Jake Williams. Here's what's happening this week. New York State has hired its first Chief Customer Experience Officer. Tanya Webster will take on the job. She'll be the first governor-appointed Chief Customer Experience Officer in the country. She comes to the role after more than 20 years in the private sector, including time at Blue Cross Blue Shield of Massachusetts, as well as Comcast NBC Universal. Philadelphia city government officials say they were hit by a cyber attack in May and that the malicious actors may have accessed the personal and health data of city employees through their email accounts. In a notice, officials say they became aware of, quote, suspicious activity in city email systems in May and determined that an unauthorized actor may have gained access to certain email accounts between May 26th and July 28th. Nonprofit civic tech group U.S. Digital Response is leading a new initiative to assist state and local government agencies hire and retain staff with digital skills. For the effort, the group will build on previous efforts to assist state and local agencies with hiring in Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Indiana. You can find these stories and more at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. North Carolina has been working to develop an enterprise data utility to manage the IDs for those using data from various state and federal agencies. The project, called NCELink, won one of NASIO's state IT recognition awards. Carol Burroughs, North Carolina's chief data officer, tells State Scoop's Colin Wood at the NASIO annual conference in Minneapolis about how the project is helping her office build trust with partners and expand the state's use of data. It's been a journey. Uh, we were legislated, legislatively mandated to... Um, do all data integration for the state, which is a big lift and no one could possibly do it with the team. So what we started in 2014 was the ability to match point solutions, right? We have this business problem, we'll match your records and support you in, um, in making an informed decision using analytics. So what we started to do um, in 2019 is we realized that we were developing all these point solutions, why not do an enterprise? data matching algorithm that would support any um, system that came our way to help agencies make better informed decisions. Then COVID hit and the, um, the speed and um, ability for us to move faster to help matching to, to get services out to citizens quicker to stop fraud, mo- fraud that was happening in unemployment and everywhere else, we, um, we developed NCELINK um, using machine learning and analytics to help drive the matching of records across our platforms. Right. All right. So you you got into this a little bit, but could you flesh out a little bit more what was what were your capabilities before this project started and um, what were the sorts of requests that you were getting and things like that? So originally we started with mostly fraud and compliance modeling. So um, did did, we were working in unemployment already, and um, we were looking at individuals that were trying to scam the unemployment system to gain access to benefits. And we were looking at, you know, simple things like, hey, you're already a state, em- you know, I, state employee's identities were being stolen. Others were using their identities and applying for unemployment insurance. So we started small. All of our projects start small and then grow incrementally. We also looked at things in our revenue tax return practices where individuals' identities were getting stolen. So most of our our, um, analytics 
prior to COVID was really about how to stop citizens' identities being stolen and used nefariously. When COVID hit, it was more about how do we get services out to citizens. Um, we had agencies come to us that asked us, you know, how, how do we match across these platforms because we're trying to get funding out to citizens um, who need it. Maybe it was, you know, meals, um, adding more um, funding onto the food stamp program, the, the SNAP program. How do we get more money out on those debit cards? Can you, can you identify this population? So we started matching in that regard. And then we realized that, um, you know, whole person care was, was really important. You know, okay, they might have COVID, but they may have other disparities that, are, that they need a service for as well. Are they homeless? Are they this? So we started to bring citizens together to improve citizen services. So it started with compliance um, and now move, has moved into improving citizen services across the board. Right. Okay. Well, let's get a little bit more into that. So how do you go from that limited implementation of analytics to a more enterprise platform like you are have or are creating now? So what we did is um, we had built it scalable to begin with because we knew that we were continuously getting um, requests for different analytic modeling and we just built it out organically as more uh, requests came in we built it now we're adding on levels of API's to allow our agencies to do the matching one of the underpinnings and the value propositions that we have here now that we have the ability to link um, or, or connect data on demand is to reduce the movement of data across agencies. A lot of times in government, you know, if an agency needs some, you know, another agency's records to help support that citizen, they get all of the records. Well, they don't need the records. They only meet, may need a minimum data necessary to do, perform that task. And that's what we're doing now. So we're allowing those APIs for agencies to come in, grab what they need and what they need and what they're authorized to use for that citizen instead of more data going out and, um, proliferating the risk of, you know, with all the cybersecurity going on, we want to make sure that our data is sound and secure and that we're protecting the citizen as much as possible. So no longer do we have to send their, their name from, you know, let's say DMV to another agency. We can just send, do they have a license, if that's what's the important part. You know, so it's not a lot of information that's flowing now. So it's actually been a very big benefit for the citizens of North Carolina. Hmm. So uh, is the project completed? It'll never be completed. It's ever evolving. Uh, we, we continue to grow it. We continue to test it. We've built two different types of models. We look at how close the data is matched together, what commonalities the records have. And then we also look across uh, the validity of the records, meaning a lot of data that comes in, um, it's coming in for administrative purposes. You know, we also have nefarious people trying to uh, falsify identities, so we have to look at the data that's coming in as we're matching. Right. Okay. Well, you sort of touched on some of this, but uh, what are ultimately the benefits that the state is seeing from, from this more comprehensive solution? So during unemployment, we stopped 60,000 stolen identities from hitting unemployment, um, and that was just in the first year. We stopped counting now. Uh, we, we have a um, significant amount of identity theft that tries to um, infiltrate our refund process in taxes. 
Um, I can't speak to the numbers there, but we do have that area where we're seeing significant growth. Um, on the citizen services side, we have a program called um, Integrated Care for Kids, which is funded out of CMS. And Integrated Care for Kids uh, links a child uh, Medicaid services with um, aspects of their public instruction, aspects of homelessness, uh, and we're linking all that data together, uh, risk scoring that individual and, uh, and sharing that with social workers so that they can provide outreach in a whole person care approach rather than just saying, oh, you have this disease, Let's, let me help you there. But now we know a little bit better about that individual to help support them. And all of this data is governed very strictly and very confidentially. So it's not like all this data is moving over. It's only when someone needs support that we're giving that data out. So top lessons learned. What, what do you tell other states that are eyeing something similar? So the motto in, in our team, um, I run the um, data division for the state of North Carolina and the Government Data Analytics Center, our motto is, data moves at the speed of trust. And what we have to do is build trust among our agencies, among our citizens, that we, whatever data they share with us will be used appropriately and for, for that aspect. We also recommend to states start small, recognize some success, and then grow incrementally. Um, you can't boil the ocean. You can't solve all the problems. You're going to continue to evolve and and do what's best for the state and, and evolve with that state as they learn and they have different needs. COVID was a great example. Everyone scrambled, um, and we all supported each other. Let's keep that momentum going and support us as we start to move into the next generation of you know, technology. Carol Burroughs, Chief Data Officer for the state of North Carolina. You can read more about her and the project, as well as all of the other winners of the NASIO State IT Recognition Awards at statescoop.com and in links in today's show notes. Ohio's Department of Job and Family Services, along with Innovate Ohio and the state's IT department, are working to transform paper-based processes by leveraging the state's identity and user experience platform to transform the way the state operates. The project was nominated for a NASIO State IT Recognition Award this year. Mark Smith, the Chief Information Officer for the state's Department of Job and Family Services, tells State Scoop's Keely Quinlan about the effort and what's next. Historically, um, my agency, the Department of Job and Family Services, has several systems across several different um, lines of business. We've got unemployment, we've got our uh, financial and food assistance programs, our child welfare systems, our workforce systems, and then everything that goes to supporting that. Ohio is also a uh, state supervised county administrative state on a lot of those programs. And so we work very closely with all 88 counties across the state of Ohio to implement a lot of the programs we provide to the public. So with that big of a footprint, the process of getting people assigned the correct roles across those various IT systems was onerous. And it was a, a paper-based system historically um, where we would capture from the, the hiring manager what the person was gonna do and then it would be routed physically, a paper form, around the different programs. And if a person, say, was in the state agency, they might have several roles. Similarly, a county person might have several roles, especially in some of our smaller counties, where they may wear several different hats 
they would be crossing whole different programs within our agency to get approval to use our systems. It was paper-based, uh, requiring wet signatures, along with the person saying, I agree to the terms and conditions and the, the, the rights of use policies across the program. And I think we were averaging around three weeks to complete the process of, I need this person to have access and they have access to everything they said they needed to. So it was coming from that perspective in late 2019, early 2020, where we initiated under my, my predecessor, Corey Sines, my chief cyber risk officer, initiated the project really, how can we automate it in, in, in the NASIO where we talk about you know, digital services and innovating to really improve our services to our partners. Right. So you talked about like some of the like time constraints and just like the overall, you know, hurdles that had to be crossed. Um, what were some of the other problems that came along with like a paper-based system that inspired this modernization project? Well, like, like several things that go through, you know, digital transformation, a paper-based form, there's, there's no validation. So a supervisor, a hiring manager is making the very best if it's been a while since they've hired someone, they may not recall exactly all the different things they need to ask for, the different validations that are needed. And so there was a fair amount of back and forth where a document would be signed, forwarded to the next step, and they're like, oh, this isn't right. It would have to be forwarded back to those people. And so I think not just the, the burden of the time, but also the the number of errors that a, a heavily manual paper-based process, just you know, human nature not remembering all the steps. And so by creating the digital version of this process, we were able to include validations that helped ensure that when the hiring manager approved it or further down the line, the people approving the authorization, they were completing all the steps they needed to. And it really helped reduce that, that back and forth because of you know, unintentional errors on the authorizations. Right. So then talk to me about this digital version of that system. And why did you guys go the cloud route? So Governor DeWine and Lieutenant Governor Houston, when they came uh, to start the administration, focused heavily on innovation. And the state's Innovate Ohio platform provided some of the single sign-on capabilities that we needed to along with some of the other things that we had done from you know, across the state's enterprise, we were able to really just jack into that capability to help deliver this functionality. We've been a, a big consumer in the state's identity management process, our Innovate Ohio platform, whether it's hosting websites, hosting you know, individual transactions within that environment, or you know, all the ways we authenticate our users. So it was really kind of piggybacking on some of the decisions that the administration made as far as how to really innovate within the state. And so we were fortunate at JFS, we could just take our big, you know, bureaucracy process and take advantage of a lot of those cloud-based and other innovations that it afforded us. Gotcha. So you've got this new system, walk me through it and what kind of benefits does it provide employees and you know leaders at the you know county and state level that are making these kinds of decisions that you were just talking about sure so so if i'm a hiring manager i would go to our um my ohio or you know ohid.ohio.gov and based upon their 
authorization, their credentials, they could then go in and initiate this request and they use their single sign-on to access it. They then identify some of the capabilities they need their newly hired person, whether it's at the state agency level or the county level, they can identify those. And we've added some things to, to help you know, ensure that they're covering it. We've incorporated some machine learning AI so that based upon the way the person is set up in the base systems, who the requester is, we can almost anticipate some of what the request really needs to be to help it be a, a very complete mechanism. And so we take that process, include the validations so that all the proper approvals, the proper information is all captured, and then it routes mechanically. So I, as the next person, would receive a notification that I had a digital 7078 authorization waiting in my queue. I could then go in and do it. And when the initial person hits submit, they could be assured that all the required pieces are materially complete and the, it's going on to that next step. And if not, that routing and they would be informed, there might be questions or otherwise. There's substantially cut down on the risk of something falling between the cracks or like we mentioned before, the back and forth because they didn't quite get everything right the first time. Yeah. And and you touched on like AI being involved in the system. Would you mind expanding on that and talking about like how the AI, you know, recommends these roles and like what type of data it pulls from? So it's it's not the, the shiny object everybody's talking right now with generative AI. It's more of the, you know, the traditional machine learning AI. So we've used our Azure, Microsoft Azure implementation and its machine learning platform to really look at how we've assigned roles in the past. And so it really does that machine learning model where based on a person within this part of the organization typically has these roles assigned. And so the machine learning AI can almost prompt the, the hiring manager or the approver to make sure that they are building the most complete form that they really can. So how we set them up initially within our active directory then helps inform what they are likely to need based upon past users with similar needs and configuration. It almost helps encourage the supervisor to have a complete ask as they make uh, the initial authorizations. Wow, that's really cool that it like can learn in that sense um, and then you know apply it forward. Um, another thing that I noticed in um, you know the report that y'all did, like the summary about this project was that this enabled more collaboration between agencies. Um, so would you mind speaking more to that and like what benefits that that provides, like not only, you know, your office, but like others in, in state and local government? Absolutely. So we've got six other either cabinet level agencies or, or in one case, a separately elected office holder that need to interact with us or our systems on a regular basis. So, you know, in one case, um, you know, delinquent payments for some child support might be certified to our attorney general who does our collections. So authorizing their staff, an entirely separate branch of government, if you will, a separate elected official, we can use the same process, partner with them to get their people set up to access the parts of our systems that they need access to. Others, like our Office of Budget Management, is our fiscal arm. And then we have very close partnerships with our um, Department of Development Disabilities, our Department of Medicaid, our Department of Mental Health and Addiction Services, as well as our, I think I named them all, but 
those agencies helps us say, okay, if this person who is outside of our domain, either as an agency staff or our county partners, we can partner with our sister agencies to go through the exact approvals that we need so that we can be confident, even though we're letting somebody in from outside the walls, if you will, we can have confidence that they've been routed correctly and given the appropriate authorization to do their job within our systems. Gotcha. And then just like, you know, in terms of like a retrospect, um, is there anything maybe like in hindsight that um, the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services might have done differently? Or maybe was there like a learning moment that stuck out to you that you're going to carry with you into future projects? I, I think like so many things, um, change management is, is always an opportunity to improve. I think the way we could have communicated what we're trying to accomplish would have eased some of the the uh, the acceptance. You know, change is hard sometimes. And so there's always an opportunity to be, you know, more effective in the way you communicate the changes coming. I think also some of our early implementations were a little bit less elegant now that we've got our experience, but I don't know, there's no easy way to, you know, overcome that other than just the experience with it. We've, we've put a lot of things into this and I, I think we've learned a lot on how to really make it work for us. I would also say just, just candidly, I wish we had also given it a better name than the digital 7078. A lot of our staff that have been with the agency for a long time know exactly what that means. You know, that's bureaucracy at its best. It's a form number. Um, so we need a little bit better name than that, and we'll we'll work on that. But most folks know it's digital seventy seventy eight. The new folks have no idea what we're talking about, so we got to get better at that. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, aside from the name, right? The work that y'all put into this, um, you know, was recognized by NASIO because you guys were named as finalists for the State IT Recognition Award. Uh, so, for firstly, congrats, and second, what does that mean to y'all? Thanks so much for the the shout out. It means a lot. I think, um, you know, within JFS, we've got two associations that that we pay a lot of focus to, uh, NASWA and APHSA, the ISM conferences for the health and human services and workforce environments. But NASIO is, you know, those are the CIOs from all 50 states. And so I think that is very focused on IT and to be recognized by that organization around as a finalist for innovation in this space, uh, it means a lot to us. I think it shows that what we're doing in Ohio at the Department of Job and Family Services, specifically in Ohio, is innovating at a level that is noted across the entire states. And so we're very proud of this. We're proud of what we've been able to do, and we're excited to, to continue to improve it. Mark Smith, Chief Information Officer for the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services. You can read more about him and the project at statescoop.com and meet all the nominees of NASIO State IT Recognition Awards there as well. You'll find links in today's show notes. You can subscribe to the Priorities Podcast at PrioritiesPodcast.com and wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, be sure to leave a review or rating on the podcast page. They make it more likely that more people will find the show. This podcast is a production of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Until next week, I'm Jake Williams. Thanks for listening.